0: Alright, if you could turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Now we've been in the series of Come Holy Spirit, and I don't know how long we're going to be in the series. Um, It might be a few more weeks, um, because I think it's very important to kind of focus back on who the Holy Spirit is and what He wants to do in our lives. And we've also looked throughout the Scripture, really since uh, the Resurrection Sunday, since Easter Sunday, we've been looking at Christ that went away. He ascended to heaven. But it was necessary that He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He he was righteous by doing this and He justified everyone by Him raising from the dead and sitting at the right hand because nobody could sit at the right hand of the Father unless He was totally spotless and blameless, which is who Christ is. But He says it's necessary that I go away, for when I go away, I will send a helper, a promise, a comforter, somebody who will come to be beside you, someone who would be an advocate. And the same word that's used there is the same word that is used for Christ Jesus in 1 John. That He will be an advocate. He will be there for us at all times. And then we've also looked at how God is consistent. And I love this about the character of God, is that He is not inconsistent in any of His ways. So we looked at how the Holy Spirit moved in the Old Testament. Remember how um, Moses went and he chose 70, Two didn't come to the camp, but two were actually or to the tent, but two were in the camp and they prophesied, and somebody came to Moses and said, "Hey, Moses stop them." And Moses says, hey, are you jealous for me? I wish that all would, would uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that. It's in Numbers 11.23. Then we see how the Holy Spirit came upon certain people in the Old Testament. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, lives were transformed. We see it in the life of Saul, who was looking for, uh, I think, some donkeys for his dad, and he started in humble means. When the Holy Spirit came on him, he was transformed and he prophesied. And then other times, even when uh, Saul, King Saul uh, grieved the Lord, he still had another experience with the Holy Spirit when he got around God's people. We see the life of King David. When he was anointed with oil, the Holy Spirit came on him, stayed on him, and then he walked with God. All the prophets who prophesied were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then we looked last week at how Jesus had promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. We looked at what the Holy Spirit was going to do. He was going to be a comforter, a counselor, but also that He was going to convict the world of its sin. And if you remember what I talked about last week, what was the sin? It was they didn't believe in Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world and say, hey, this Jesus that these crazy people talk about, He is the One, He's the Righteous One who can save you from your sin, your guilt, and your shame. It is only through Jesus Christ that we become free. But you see... We come to that point of salvation, and the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. It's not on our own merits, nothing that we have done. The Holy Spirit draws us. But Christ promises something else to come. It is going to be a comforter to help you walk this life, and that you don't have to walk this Christian life alone. And so we're going to look at that this morning in three points. We're going to look at waiting with a purpose, which if you could turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And the second point is going to be waiting in united prayer. And the third point is going to be a constant need of the Holy Spirit. You see, as I was thinking this week about what we do and how we form church and what we do on Sunday morning, is that we hold a high emphasis on corporate worship, don't we? If there's no worship music, well, you really hadn't had church. And then we also have a high emphasis on corporate reading of God's word. Right? If you don't read the word, then you're going in—you're a heretic, or you're you're going into heresy. So those two things we hold of high importance every Sunday morning and Wednesday nights that we get together, or whenever we get together. But I would like to add a third thing. Corporate prayer. We don't hold a real high emphasis on corporate prayer. Is where when we get together, not only are we worshiping together, but we are taking a time to actually pray together, seek God together, and read His Word, and all three of those must be part of the believer's life. And so let's look at what Jesus promised His disciples after, when he, right before He was getting ready to ascend up to heaven. He says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, While He was with them, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which He said, You have heard Me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit in a few days." So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, are You restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in all the Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth." And I want to look at these scriptures just for a moment and whet our appetite. Because I think we need our appetites wetted, if that's a word, with something other than what the world constantly feeds us. And Jesus said, when He was tempted by the enemy, the devil, in the wilderness, He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I think we need the same thing for today. And so He says, listen, in a few days, I am going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and you will be baptized. Now this word baptism has caused a lot of stir in the Christian church. Some believe that the baptism of the Spirit isn't really what was totally meant, and then others do. Some don't use the word baptism in the Spirit, they use indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Either word that you want to use this morning indwelling of the Spirit or baptism of the Spirit, the point is that the Spirit wants to come and wants to be resident in your life and in your heart. And I've heard it said too, and I hold true to the doctrine of the Scripture, is that they believe that the disciples were saved, but they weren't filled with the Spirit yet. That's why Jesus said "There in a few days the, the, the Spirit will come to you and you will be baptized. Jesus said, this was a promise that John the Baptist said, I come to baptize with water, the repentance of sins, but the one coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with Fire. And so there is a promise that something is going to come to allow us to live a life that is wholly pleasing and with so much joy. But we need to see it in Scripture because that's where our faith comes from. And so He's going to come and then He goes on to say and they ask the question and then I have a question for you. He says, They say, Lord, is this the time that You're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They didn't realize that this was going to be the time that God was going to bring His kingdom to all the nations. And then Jesus says, has the audacity, and maybe He would say it to us today, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority. How many of you guys in here are uh, into end-time prophecy? Okay, I respect you. I do, big time. I think it's interesting. But I have a question for you this morning. Does your end-time prophecy lead you to share Jesus with others? Okay, we have a yes. Yes. I want to challenge you this morning. There is so much stuff out there. Some of it is really cool, really interesting. But some of it is conspiracy. Some of it, we've heard a lot through the past, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, that the end in 1988 was surely going to happen. It didn't come. And then we even heard that the planets were going to clash not too long ago. It didn't happen. I want to share with you this morning, we don't know the time that Christ is going to return. We look at signs, we look at different things, and and we do see that something is happening. And the four blood moons, I don't know much about it, but it's sure interesting what happened. We don't really know what's going on, but I want you to know that Jesus says that's not what's important. Because there's going to be something that comes and He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit because it goes on in verse eight but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, there is a time that it says that you will receive a power and the word power here is dunamis, which means... You will receive a strength, a power, ability for miracles, a power in your own souls and to witness. It isn't just a power that comes and just, it has a purpose. And here's the question for you today, and I ask my same question, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? You know. You know. And I will say this, and I will point to it in just a minute. Some people are baptized right when they get saved. Others are baptized in the Holy Spirit as they seek and ask God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. And even our salvation experiences, if you think about it, are different for everybody. The way I was saved is not the way you were saved for some of you. But we have the same Jesus. It doesn't matter how I was saved. It matters that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose again. That's our salvation. That's our faith. But he says, when the power comes on you, you will be my witnesses. The baptism of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not just for us to be selfish with this gift. It is to be one of a light to our communities and sharing and witnessing. But the side benefits of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as we've seen through Scripture, not through my own experience, is that when the Holy Spirit shows up, lives are transformed. Things are different. And then in Acts chapter 5 verse 32, because there is something to this, is we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. And so right here, I wanted to point to that Scripture because of how important it is, is that the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him, and they're talking about as soon as they were arrested, and they asked them to be quiet, and they said, we cannot listen to man, we must obey God. And so Jesus said, go and wait. What did the disciples do when He said, go and wait? They went. They went the specific place that Christ had told them to go, and they were going there, and they were going to wait for the Spirit to come, and to come in power. And so point number two is waiting in united prayer. And this is really important for us. So if you could go to uh, verses 12 and 14 of chapter 1. And we'll skip around just a little bit. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not Iscariot, the son of James. I was thinking about that just a side note. How would you like to be Judas, one of the twelve that they always refer to you as not Iscariot? Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, this is Judas, but not Iscariot. Anyway, it's just a uh, poor guy. Then it goes on in verse 14, they all were continually united in prayer along with the women including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers. So we see something here that I think is very important for us as a body of Christ at Cornerstone, is the unitedness that we have through prayer. Prayer. And as we were praying the last couple Monday mornings, as we get together, those who can be there from 8.15 to 9.15, we have prayer on Monday mornings, which is a powerful time. God always shows up and is always fun. But there was a revelation a couple weeks ago that just came to my mind and my heart. I love this time of prayer because everybody here is united in one purpose. We leave everything that we're struggling with, leave it to the side for a moment, or even what we think is best, we leave it aside, we lay it down, and we just seek Jesus together. And it is refreshing to get with a bunch of people who are united with one purpose, laying down what they think is best for the moment and seeking Jesus and seeking His best. And trust me, I'm around enough people that tell me they know best, and it's quite fun. But in verse 14, they said, "It says they were continually united in prayer." And it depends on what version you have, but this word "united" is they were in one accord. What does that one accord mean? Is that they were together? With one mind, one accord, with one passion. So when we see they were waiting in united prayer, they were all of one mind. What is that mind that each one of us should have with one another? It's Christ Jesus. You see, and I've said this a lot, and some of you, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but if we were in normal life, I probably maybe wouldn't hang out with some of you. Now, with that said, I love every one of you. But in my own self, maybe I wouldn't. But because we have a common ground, which is Christ Jesus, we can come together, we can have fellowship together, we can love one another, even despite our differences. Because He is our common core. And you see, they knew that Jesus said, go and wait and pray. And they did this. And then we see in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And this is what we're going to be celebrating next Sunday, is Pentecost Sunday, which is ten days after Jesus' ascension. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I want to make this very clear this morning that the tongues they were speaking were tongues of a different language. What language were they speaking? They were speaking a human language language. And I think that's very significant. Oftentimes, as missionaries to Turkey, and we would joke with one another as we're in language learning, we'd ask for the gift of tongues. Because we're like, it promises here that we will be able to speak in another language, another tongue. He never gave me that gift. I had to work very hard to learn Turkish. But we would joke with one another. But that's what happened here. And even in today, when the Holy Spirit comes in certain places and the, the Spirit falls as they speak another language, and then those that are not of that language hear their language spoken, and the Gospel's proclaimed. So the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell and they spoke in another language, the Gospel was proclaimed. Then how do we know this? Because in verses 40, I'll have 42 through 47 in chapter 2, but verse 40, I'll start with that. It says, "...with many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation." So those who accepted his message were baptized and the day, that day about 3,000 people were added to them. When they spoke in another language, it gave them attention to listen to the message. I don't think they were just babbling something that was ununderstood. I think it caught the attentions of the nation. I know it caught the attentions of the nations because God took an ordinary person like Peter and all of a sudden his message had great effect. And then it goes on, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I want you to know that only the Holy Spirit can do a work like this. Because you see, when you live in a divided church and a divided body, there's something about that is quenching the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does not divide people, it brings people together. And then it goes on to say in verse 43 everyone who was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people." Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. A move of the Spirit had come to the early church. And I believe a move of the Spirit wants to come to today's church. Then Romans 14.17, I'll have it on the screen for you. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but... Is righteousness, we have it all the way up there, yes. But it is drinking, it's not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you this morning, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit came to indwell in you? And so there's a couple litmus tests in the Word. We'll get to in a couple weeks of saying, Are you filled? But do you have joy? Do you have peace? Is your life a life of righteousness? You see, I'm kind of confused, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's like I'm kind of confused about where we're at today in the Christian life because when we start talking about righteousness and holy living, we just kind of all of a sudden say, Whoa, 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 stop. You're giving me rules and regulations. You're telling me how to live my life. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to, uh, uh, to inform you that a life that's lived by the Spirit, their character will be a life of purity and holiness and will be seeking after the Lord. And can we quench the Holy Spirit? You betcha. Can we feel at times as if we've been baptized or the Holy Spirit's in our lives that it's left us? There are times that we can feel this. It doesn't mean He's ever left you or forsaken you. That's not what I'm saying this morning. What I am saying is that if you have grieved the Holy Spirit, you need to turn around, you need to repent, and you need to ask Him to come and fill you more. That's the third point. We have a constant need for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter four, and this is kind of where I'm going to wrap up the sermon real quick. And I want to read this to you because it's so powerful, not because of any other reason, but there's power in what is being spoken here. Verse 23 of chapter 4. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. Again, they were put in jail. But they were free. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said, through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against the Messiah. And then they go on to talk about it. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. All the nations raged against the Lord and His anointed. They assembled together against Your holy servant Jesus, whom You anointed, to do whatever Your hand and Your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that Your servants may speak Your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. I want you to know today that signs and wonders and miracles are still for today. But do we still believe? Do we still believe in the baptism? Do we still believe in the indwelling of the Spirit and the need for Him. He's the promise. He's our inheritance. Did you know that if you call God Dad, or if you call Him Father, that that is a gift from the Holy Spirit Himself? That God has lavished His love on us by calling us sons and daughters, and we can only know this through the power of the Holy Spirit? It's something we don't come to It's something that is revealed. And last week I shared that. And when I did, there was something that went through my heart last week when I said, me and Jesus are like this. And there's something that just like, just I don't know what happened, but I'm like, oh yeah, man, I'm friends with Jesus. That's revealed by the Holy Spirit. That's nothing I can make up. And why the world sits back and he looks at the Christians. And I realize today that if you are part of that group that says, man, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, I want you to say that, that, that maybe you're right. Christians struggle just like everybody else struggles. But we have a Savior that has died for us and has purified us that we can know Him despite our struggles. And then it goes on to say this. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God boldly. Listen here, and I want to really stress this this morning, is that they were baptized with the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit came again and filled their lives where they could speak the Word of God boldly. And what I am trying to tell us this morning is that we need to be filled with the Spirit more and more every day. Ephesians 5.18 says this, don't be drunk. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. This word here for filled with the Spirit means keep on being filled. There's only one thing that has ever happened once and will never happen again, and that is Christ crucified. But you know what? I hold firm that my life is crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. But you know what happens every day? The flesh just rises up. And I have to say, okay, flesh, you're crucified again. And I think it's the same way with the Holy Spirit that we need to be filled on a constant basis. All right, I feel like I'm going long here. So I'm going to sum the sermon up. You go to Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. And I want to go full circle back to where I started. And I promise you, like, if you really just want to tune out after the first five minutes of my sermon, you'll be okay. Because you probably got it all in that first five minutes, but preachers have to babble for 30 or 40. But anyway, there's a reason. So Jesus is saying something here. He tells a story before he goes into the Scripture I'm going to read. He tells a story about a friend who came to his door at midnight when everybody was asleep. The doors were locked. And he asked the friend for food. And if you know anything about the culture, the Eastern culture, to, to be hospitable is number one. And so his friend coming to him at night when the doors were locked, everybody was sleeping, was the friend needed food because if he didn't have food for his guests, it would be terrible. And he knocked on the door and the guy said, Hey, hey, we're asleep. But the guy was persistent. And he said, I need food. And Jesus said, because of his persistence and his shamelessness, that he was given the food. And then it goes on to say in verse 9, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So I want to ask you the question this morning. Do you believe that God wants to indwell in you through His Holy Spirit? If you believe the same God that will give you wisdom, if you ask of Him, is the same God that says, if you ask the Holy Spirit to come, He will come. For some of you, it will be a night and day thing. You're just like, okay, I got it. I believe. Others, if you're like me, It was about 15-16 months into my salvation experience that the baptism of the Spirit came upon my life. But for me, you know what? And this is where I want to bring us to for some of us, for some of us not, is that we need to ask. We need to knock. We need to seek. So I'm wondering... Are we willing to do what it takes to ask the Father? And I, I, He's a good Father, so I know we can ask in faith, and He will give it. But for some of us, we need to make this a point of contention with the Father. We need to ask. We need to knock. And we need to seek.